Hello, and welcome to 3 and 2, the Match Play Age of Sigmar podcast. This is episode 13. Uh, my name's Rich, and joining me as always are Laura. Hi, Laura. Hello. And Matthew. Hi, Matthew. We are actually not going to talk about Skaven at all on episode 13, are we? Uh, Good question about Skaven. Oh, thank God. Okay, yeah, episode saved. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right, you've immediately derailed me. Sorry. Um, I was, I was going to say, Bobby. good job on the Match Play Age of Sigma podcast. I'm not aware of any of this. Uh, so. All other Match Play Age of Sigma podcasts are fakers and haters. They're, they're much better. It's fine. <laughs> so we've got an action-packed episode, so I think we're going to bang Stop on. Stop waffling, yeah. Yeah. Hobby. Matty, what hobby have you done? <laughs> Almost none. So today I managed to spray paint six Colonel Thunters and ten Dryads. But prior to that... Great. I did do some actual painting, actual human painting. I painted the new Flesh Eater Court guy and a couple of the others from the box in a new scheme that I did not at all steal from uh, Tyler Mangle on Goonhammer when he did the Blisterkin scheme. I completely stole it from Tyler Mangel, but it looks good and I don't care. Uh, so quite happy with that. And I keep saying eventually I'll repaint this army. Yeah. Uh, and if I do, it will probably be in that scheme. It's also very quick and easy. Yeah, they're red. But yeah, that's, that's, I, I thought they looked yeah. good. Um. Yeah, they're kind of cheap and cheerful. There's not, not too much going on on them, but they're quite fun. Lots of sort of Stippling on contrast and stuff, it's always not not too much of a hassle. That's pretty much all I've done. Nothing for like actual armies that I'm going to play in the near future. That was a rapid hobby session. How about you, Laura? I can't remember what I painted when we did the last podcast, to be honest. So I might have painted a Magmadroth, but if I talked about that last time, I haven't painted another Magmadroth. It's the same one. I definitely have painted the Headman's Curse for Warhammer Underworlds, which, as always, I'm going to count as AOS hobby. So that was four ghosts. It was fun. I think you've painted them as well, Rich, so I'm stealing yeah, your I'd thunder. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Well, I yeah. wasn't going to mention it until you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and otherwise, I've just done a little bit of noodling. Of, oh. not, to, not to interrupt, but just that's probably some of your best painting that you've done on, on that warband. Just slightly that you did some some real good sword blends there thank you i'm not i don't know everyone really liked the sword and it took about 10 minutes with contrast but which sometimes i feel a little bit guilty it, for but i did the outcome is all that matters yeah. well didn't didn't know you cheated now i don't like it <laughs> No, they, they do look really good, and it doesn't matter how long it takes if it looks good. Thank you. Yeah, the only other thing I've done is messed around with possible Seraphon colour schemes on some old skinks. Ooh. But I don't think that really counts, because nothing's finished. It's just me <laughs> trying things out. Got nice. a box of ten Saurus Warriors waiting for me to do something with them. Have you got any any like theories where you might go with your colour scheme? My narrative theme for the army is sort of Zinchian, so they're probably going to be pink and blue in some combination. But I kind of want nice. to do the Saurus part of the army slightly different to the Skink part, so I'm just trying to figure out 
schemes that will fit together okay. Flesh tone like chiric acolytes. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds incorrect. Flesh tone saurus with blue scales sounds horrible, but quite good. Actually, that's just a tyranny color scheme. Putting a tyranny color scheme on a saurus sounds amazing, but also like they would all look disgusting. So, yeah, I don't know. I haven't found anything I like yet, so I might just paint a saurus and see how they come out. All nice. of the new saurus are hanging dong, so you cannot paint them flesh colored. That is not. <laughs> you can't do that. Do you have really like? Sculpted crotch area, don't it's, I? It's so. I think I, I assume. Is it not like the tail, like the torso going into the tail? Though, like, I haven't thought I about it know. that much, and I don't want to. This podcast gone off the rails in five minutes. I've so. not thought about it at all, or even noticed I think, it. So I don't I know what that's about. It a lot now. I'm typing in well, yeah, when I'm building it, it's going to be the only thing on my mind, clearly. Saurus. Warriors. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Just, yeah. Mo- moving on. <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably the tail, but I'm I'm not a lizard scientist, so Yeah. Rich, have you done any hobbies? What um, hobby yeah. have you done, Rich? <laughs> Certainly not any of that. I painted as Laura mentioned, the Headman's Curse for Underworlds. I bought them on the day they were released, and then I went home and painted them. Just in my normal night haunt scheme, which is dry brushing and washes. Not very exciting, but they look alright. And since then, I have been painting Crawl Boys over and over and over again, because a weird part of my brain has gone, time to paint Crawl Boys. After some showed up in Stormbringer, and I've been enjoying, like, sort of getting the base tones down with contrast over a gradient and then doing some layering and highlighting on top. Quite pleased with the sort of effort to output ratio. So I've yep. done 10 hobgrops. I, I think I'd previously talked about doing some characters and then sort of in recent weeks I've done 10 hobgrops, three bolt boys, five gut rippers, and I'm about two thirds of the way through the second five gut rippers. Gut, gut rippers and gut rippers. Um, still finalizing a list if I'm building towards a list, but basically got like a bit more infantry to do and then some assortment of large monsters. So, really good. Thanks. And as someone whose cool boy flesh color is like a nine step process, I'm very jealous that you've managed to find a really quick contrast scheme to do them with. If you ignore the all-over dry brushing at the start and the all-over wash at the end, they are three steps on the flesh, I think. Four if you count <laughs> a little targeted wash around the lips and stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with them. I realised the last batch I did, I realised as I was painting the current cool, the current Gut Rippers that I completely forgot to do the second highlight on their skin. So it obviously wasn't important. <laughs> Maybe I I'll usually find with any army... Yeah. The yeah. process I start with, with any army, like the first half of the things I paint have like three extra steps that I then abandon for the last well, half, I think. Saying that, I'm looking at them now and maybe I did remember to do it. So I've just gotten mad. I'll compare them once I do it on these next five. But yes, I, I agree. Like 
the, the scheme always starts complex and then by the end it's like maybe I'll varnish it. <laughs> maybe it doesn't matter. It doesn't Never matter. Varnish anything. It doesn't matter if you paint the base rim, does it? Yes, that's the one that's where I draw a line. <laughs> no, I'm I'm obviously playing a character there because to me that is one of the most important things. <laughs> yeah, so Warhammer Crime. People posting finished models with unpainted rims are not posting finished models. It's a hill yeah. I'm willing to die on. I'm willing to lose listeners over this, I think. <laughs> Come back next next month where we've renamed it to Rimcast or something. No, no let's not do that, actually. Oh, no, we can't. Rich, yeah. come on. No, moving on. Please. Moving on, main segment. We're going to talk about the new General's Handbook. <laughs> Unless anyone did have any other hobby they wanted to talk about, but I think that was it. Cool. The new General's Handbook has come out. It is the General's Handbook Season of War 23 to 24 and Tor. I think that's right. No, and Tor was the Battle Scroll. Yes. Right. I think the GHB is also set in there, but. It's set in Antor as well. Yeah, it's set in Antor. So it's a new setting as well. And also, crucially, 12 months. Yeah. How long. There is part of part of me wants to say, "Oh, they've listened." Twelve months GHBs are back. Hell yeah! The other part of me is thinking, "Is this because the next edition's coming?" I think they have listened in a period of time that would render two GHBs in that period. Well, no. we'll see. But yeah, I think we might get some kind of tweaks partway through. Like, I wouldn't mind if they sort of updated some of the scenarios a bit in the same way that they did with. The last full year GHP, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I guess to summarise, we're not going to read all the rules out. I'm assuming that wasn't the plan anyway. But this GHP, no. yeah, find them find them go to Goonhammer and read their review. I haven't or buy the book and read it in the book. Basic principle is it's about small wizards, so... Fewer than 10 wounds, uh, but mm-hmm. unmounted wizards. But you can have a mount. Oh, can they? Ah, oh, they don't have to be unmounted with the unnamed characters. Soul Masons rejoice. I'm not sure. I um, might have hallucinated that. I think no, 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 yeah, it's not unique. So, yeah, you can have a... You can, you can be on a horse. On an os. Or a chair. Yeah, so there. I guess the narrative of the season is happening in a very magical place. Uh, gener- I'm going to shamefully yeah. say I've not read any of the lore, I which the I now feel slightly guilty about. Yeah, me either, don't worry. It's cold and icy. Magical and, and icy, yeah. And there's magic. <laughs> kind of all I got from it, and I got that from the battle plans. But you have a chance to generate in every hero phase sort of primal dice, which are kind of like wild magic. There are the usual battle tactics and grand strategies. And if you're not a magic army, there are some sort of like commiseration artifacts called Nullstone Enhancements. Nullstone Adornments. Nullstone Adornments. They are an enhancement, but they're called Nullstone Adornments, which give you some sort of like way of interacting with the magic or the season. They seem quite good. They seem like a nice addition. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, we yeah just wanna... I really like them. They they seem better than the enhancements that yeah. the wizards get. Yeah, to be honest. Be like 
quite a lot better. Beyond the spells, the spells are certainly probably yeah. something we'll have to talk about because, yeah, they. So, where do you want to start? Does someone want to just jump in with an opinion? I guess if we're not going through it, we are going to talk about the battle plans as well. I think sort of we'll save that towards the end of the mm. section. But in a previous episode, one of the listener questions was, "Which is your favourite GHB?" And so now I can say it's this one. This is the best GHB they've done. Oh. I think I haven't played a lot of it. <laughs> so, Not General's Handbook twenty seventeen. If in in eight months' time I'm saying this is dog shit and I hate every second of playing it, don't hold this against me. But at the moment, it seems like it's they've done a really good job. I imagine you saying something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, on the basis of two whole games of it, mm. I like it as well so far. I think mm. there isn't anything that feels really super overwhelmingly overpowered in the way that a few previous ones have had. And I think the sort of overall complexity level maybe feels a little bit down from last time. That might just be because I've been playing games with a non-magic-focused army. But I feel like the sort of Nullstone adornments and the magic stuff doesn't feel... I don't know, for some reason, Galician Champions I just found really complicated. And the extra enhancements they got and the way they linked into battle plans just felt like it took a lot of getting my head around. And I'm not sure I can entirely yeah. articulate why I don't feel that way about this one, but I don't think I do. Well, so this time around, the, the Antorian Locust keyword barely interacts with the battle plans. I think there's two yeah, maybe that's where it, it comes up. And one of them, it's about blowing them up, I think. I, one of them helps them score, and but you're not scoring like extra VP through them, which helps. Might be one or two, I forget. There's 12. I haven't read them all in that much detail, but um, they feel like less of a big deal. And yeah, like I said, I think the gimmick this time around is maybe a lighter touch. There's some extremes yeah. around the edges. So certain armies are going to need a bit of tweaking, I imagine, in the near future. A certain magical frog. Because <laughs> <laughs> they use it a bit too well. But in general, I think it's it's basically fine. Yeah. We'll get to it later as well. The battle plans, I think. It's the best set they've written for a long time. Yes, I would um, agree. So that's yeah. all good. I think going back on what I... Yeah, just thinking about mm. why I feel the complexity is a bit down. I think it's partly because if you've got wizards, you have to care about some bits of it. And if you haven't, you have to care about other bits of it. But you don't... Mm. It's sort of either or. You don't have to think, what's my extra enhancement and what's my extra spell and all this other yeah. stuff. It's a bit more Definitely. pick and choose the bits that are relevant to you. It's good stuff. And even if you have a wizard, it might not have that big an impact. It might just be the primal dice. Because if you're not taking one of the new spells, you're probably not taking one of the new command traits. You probably don't have to worry about that. So, yeah, there's less to think about. And again, the, the reward for going second in the battle round this season, if you're not using a wizard, you don't have to do any thought. It's just you're getting... One hero is getting an extra command point. Fine. Fine. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. I was. You do have to remember it, though. It's going to be the thing I forget the most. I've already forgotten it in 50% of the games I've played with this GHP. Yeah. My interpretation of that when I played was that you get the command point at the start of the battle round and it's just there until the end of the battle round unless you use mm -hmm. it. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. That was one thing yeah. I wasn't sure about. The difference between that and the heroic action to get a command point is going to be very confusing, mm -hmm. and I think just lead to me taking it away at the end of the turn. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm sure someone somewhere will sell you a token that says the specific word. <laughs> There's always someone to sell a token. <laughs> cool. I'm trying to think what else to say about it of substance really. The um Well we can I can go into more detailed thoughts. It depends I wonder interested really to hear what you guys had to think about I don't know, maybe not just the theme but sort of the specific mechanics going on behind it as well. Yeah. I think the primal magic dice is maybe the thing that does feel a little bit off so far. This is on the basis of having played mm-hmm. one game of magic. So, you know, this this might be complete nonsense. But as we will talk about in a bit, in the one game we played with Wizards, the primal magic very much benefited the unbinding more yes. than the spell casting because there is no downside to using primal magic dice to unbind, whereas there potentially is for casting. So it yeah, kind yeah. of felt like in a game where you have small wizards who are casting one or two spells if the opponent has unbinds the primal magic dice actually potentially lead to fewer spells being cast which is quite counterintuitive yeah Yeah. i don't know if that will be different in games of you know something like nagash who is casting loads of spells and where the opportunities for unbinding are reduced yeah yeah certain models like nagash will just power through it i think he also benefits a lot from the unbinding. Looked on it is all of the games I've played so far. Again, not loads, but I have taken like the ideal wizard model. They're wanting you to take in this. I've taken like a little one cast, no bonus wizard, because that's kind of what you get for Deepkin. And I've successfully cast one spell so far, and she's lived through all of the games. And I've used the try to cast two spells ability as well. And it is, like you said. It's if you roll a one at any point in your casting, unless you're desperate to force that through by any means necessary, you're better off stopping, and then the person unbinding your spell can just chuck all of their dice at that one cast. Yeah. Uh, whereas, potentially against armies that can overwhelm you with how much they have to cast, like Seraphon, or like a Nagash, or like maybe a Sylvaneth, but probably not, because their spells are too key. Like You know exactly what you're going to going for for them they can probably work around it but i suspect overwhelmingly what will happen is those little single wizards are gonna suffer i'd agree yeah i think inherently as well um like there's way more of a push your luck for like when you're casting and you know i had a couple of instances where i like maybe like just failed to cast something so i rolled like a six added a primal dice and got to like a nine and then had to go like maybe I need to add another one to try and get it to like a less unbindable state Mm -hmm. but even if you get it up to like 12 or 14 like like you say there's no downside to the other player if they go like they either then go ah well you've spent all of your unbind like your primal dice on that you can just have it like it's kind of a waste or can like they know exactly, they know exactly what they're aiming for on the unbind. Whereas you don't know, unless you're very good at like mid-game maths, like what you should really try to get to to be safe. Um, yeah. I suppose that maybe it means the double six thing gives you a bonus, right? It, it cannot be unbound if any two are a six. So there is like a a push your luck good to go with the bad, but mm. 
it's not come up for yeah. me so far. So. I wonder if it means there's a sort of significant advantage to having two wizards over one, because that at least gives your opponent a decision about what to unbind. Whereas if you've got one unbind, which, you know, a re- most non-magic armies at this point are going to have one unbind probably, yeah. then you just chuck it all into it. Yeah. Although there is that one null stone. I think the one you'll always see, which is just like potentially infinite unbinds. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. So you get an unbind, yeah. but if it succeeds, you get another. Yeah. Yeah. So but that means you're that. invested to spend the primal dice on the first spell to some extent. So yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Because the, the game replayed, Matthew, there was only, you only had one wizard. And so there yeah. was just very little decision making for me about what to unbind. Yeah. Whereas if you'd had two, it would at least have been, I'd have had to think. Yeah, the the nature of the army I have, I can't do that. Um, yeah, but with some armies, that is a more yeah, interesting choice. Absolutely, I was interested how you feel about Teclas this season, Rich. Because he is not a he's not a primal caster, so it it's, it's worse. Yeah, because the, like the default way you're going to play play him is mm. four spells auto cast on a ten. That's like a 10. I mean, certainly was unbindable before, especially by like Slan and stuff, mm. but uh, or like certain corn stuff. Yeah. But, um, I wonder if you will see him done with the one can't be unbound spell sometimes now. I... Yeah. I was always reticent to use that because it feels like three spells is a lot of opportunity cost. When when you're coming up from a point of view of let's say like ninety percent chance yeah. that they're not going to be unbound, but when that's going to maybe more like a fifty, yeah, there's then I think the one ununbindable yeah. spell is an an interesting thing. I do think there's a bit of a flip there in that um, Lumineth yeah. have lots of very yeah, good that's the thing. small. It's going to be quite unusual that Texas so, will be like, the only wizard uh, in your army, right? You're going to have other people who can use your primal dice most of the time. Like the Cathalar, the Enlightener. I would say the Lawseeker, but I think the Lawseeker's back to being unique again, so <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, they still have Deep Thinkers as well, right? The Skinara units, so they can push spells through as well. Yeah, so, so at that can... point... If you're thinking about Teclas in terms of one spell, it's how much value you're actually getting out of that compared to your your Skinari Wizards, I wonder. Yeah. Because if you're going to cast one, it's probably going to be a Protection of Teclas or maybe yeah. Storm of Searing White Light, unless you're in a very situational position yeah. where it's like something else from the laws that is useless. Useless, sorry, useful. Well, I guess it's a situational position where you would cast just the one yeah. spell, right? If you desperately yeah. need to get a particular thing off. I think if it was more of a storm of searing white light, you'd just take the chance of it being unbound and get as many I think spells. That's likely. As you can. Yeah. It's um Yeah, I don't I I don't think he's never mm. gonna be bad, I don't think. But I may think maybe there's a less compelling argument yeah. for him this season. Take him out, put two cows in. I just want an excuse to buy and pay another cow, I think. But I like that the law spells in mm. the GHB, the, like the GHG spells, are really impactful ones. It feels yeah. like they really did go big or go home. Like They're hard to cast, but they're going to be meaningful if you cast them. That said, I have yet to play a game they've come up in. Are you going to... Are you, are you... <laughs> 
as I say, are you, you going to like them when a frog teleports directly in front of your army and drops 46 mortal wounds on you? No, but I'm not going to like a frog, whatever it does. They're always <laughs> rubbish. So, you know, this isn't but that much worse both. than what it's, they do. It's quite a lot worse than what they do. <laughs> I, well, maybe. Yeah. So I I can't remember exactly the number, but I watched a, a early, very early Doors bat rep with a stub on Seraphim Army that was optimized to do this. So it had croak, it had a frog. It, had, it wasn't fully optimized, so it didn't have the maelstrom as well, which is like the, the secret tech for these mortal wound bomb armies. And it, and it used its starborn points to do mortal wounds as well. And it did like 30 in a phase. And it's just like one phase just ripped the heart out of the enemy army. And there's sort of no, no real comeback to that unless you're running very particular levels. So like you can probably play against that with like a Nagash or with an OBR but maybe not much else I think that was against Soulblight as well so it wasn't even like a low wound count Horrifying. elite army it was just like blowing <laughs> blowing chunks out of these hordes of stuff yeah. Um, yeah I guess I vaguely trust if you know Seraphon specifically turn out to be horrifically broken they'll just get nerfed at some future point yeah. and we'll have to roll with it until then yeah I mean you know that's always been they've always been nerfed appropriately, right? So <laughs> Stub looked to be the major outlier that like if I have a concern, I'm concerned about them as an army and like maybe Zinch, but actually I don't think Zinch could be that bad really. Um yeah. we'll see. I think the main spell everyone's really excited about is the is the Horfrost one, right? Where you roll a D three and you set your hit wound or rend to that that result, which seems okay. None of the armies I play really care about it that much. Maybe bone splitters, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, play in inverted commas there, right? So <laughs> yeah, right. Do we want to talk about the battle plans? We got anything else? That I did. So said that you want to say? Did we haven't talked about like battle tactics or battle yeah. strategies? Oh yes, yes. We we do have to talk about the negatives, right? Um, and so the grand both seem way harder. Yeah. So the grand strats are just a load of shit. Anyone see any that they like there? There's like slaughter of sorcery. No. It's maybe no. okay for corn. If you're running corn, maybe ko. Yeah. Potentially, like one one of those no cast armies. If you don't have a good grand strat of your own, yeah. which I think KO have got do. good book ones. Though, yeah, I think, so, I, so I've played against corn in this book, and corn yeah. used that, and it was like very easy. Slaughter of Sorcery, particularly if your opponent has no wizards as well, if the game just has no wizards in it, that's an auto 3 VP. Obviously, that's, that swings both ways, so if you're against Lumineth, yeah. you then do have to table the we'll Lumineth. Yeah, that one get used yeah. to put, yeah. just for the chance. But beyond that. the Yeah, I think my concern with this is that, I mean, not to not spoil a future battle report, but the game I played with this, I played... Boys with mm. like a best of a bad bunch grand strap yeah. picked out of the book, yeah. And my opponent was playing fire slayers and picked the one where you just have to have an invocation on the table at the yeah. end of the game, which is there's no way I can interact with, so it's an auto win on the grand strap. He's got a cast prayer, but yeah, 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 he's got to cast it in the first place, not mathematically automatic, but. There's a pretty good chance. It's got like a re-roll on it, and Especially you've got five turns to do it, and yeah, 
plus one and a reroll and five yeah. turns to do it. it can't and I go can't away. Do anything else. Let's not get into it. No, it, it doesn't go away because he doesn't um, move it. But he has to determine he casts it, I think, right? So it can just go away then. Possibly so. not. Possibly not. So. Anyway, anyway, it's a very yeah. easy ground strat to score. So I think I think this season does highlight the imbalance between yeah. books that have good ones and books that I don't yeah. or like sort of have harder and ones. You really did pick the book there because Oryx. Again, we'll get into yeah. it more in the in the uh, battle scroll chat because they have addressed it somewhat, not even remotely nearly enough, but and they've addressed it somewhat in that like Oryx <laughs> and Storm poor Stormcast. There's just nothing here. And again, battle tactics, they've gone for make them hard. And this time, unlike last GHB where they pretended to make them hard, they've actually made them hard. So I think I've been scoring. I think in all my games, I've dropped one, which still sounds like that's pretty easy. But boy, have I been relying on book tactics quite hard. And Deepkin don't have great ones, but they're like doable. Yeah. I don't think that's like I like that in principle. I don't see any point in having battle tactics as they're going to be really easy. But it does highlight the imbalance you get in the yeah. book. Battle tactics is yeah. the problem. But I yeah. still think I do still think it's a good thing. To be honest, I would rather the GHB battle tactics were reasonably hard. I think. I think the only thing I don't like, which I also didn't like last season, is that there are some in this book that for certain armies they're not just hard they're like impossible yeah yeah no that's fair um, like gargants cannot score five battle yeah. tactics from this ghb mm-hmm. maybe if you took yeah, arcane exactly. tome but it's it's you know it's real hard yeah a lot of them are just yeah. really hard anyway even if you can theoretically score them and not in a way that i think is i i, I don't agree that it's particularly good design to make them hard Partly because of the book thing and partly just in general. I mean, I don't like battle tactics in general. I think it's kind of flawed. Yes, same. We've, we've got that's old ground for this podcast. But yeah, this lot, again, it's just <laughs> me spending more of my hero phase staring at battle tactics, which is just like the absolute worst part yeah. of the game. Um, yeah. I think I would prefer that they were like wholly generic and about being near something or doing sort of like the first implementation was a bit more, although mm-hmm. there was still some that sort of keyworded monsters and stuff, but just like taking objectives or return killing something or being near a certain bit of the battlefield and less sort of keyword focused. There's some, and there's some really weird ones about like having a couple of units charge something, but then they still have to be near an enemy at the end. So you have to charge something that you don't think you're going to kill. And that that that's one of the easiest battle tactics in this book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a lot yeah. of book battle tactics have that rule as well. It's, you know, it's a mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's... I'd prefer that's where the more technical stuff lived, I think, in the battle tomes, where it's like here's some techie stuff you can do that might be hard but is possible with your army rather than that being in the core set and there being yeah. some armies that can't do it like Gargans. Yeah, I I don't love that one of them is just like to do with incarnates. Yeah. Who who cares? Two of them are about casting yeah, spells. That's, yeah, that's, oh, that's rough. So that's incarnates like, and endless spells. Oh, just... Yeah. Uh, two of them are like casting away. spells... And some really weird charging ones. But on the other, I don't know. Right. Like retreat two units and then charge with two different units. So Deepkin have a battle tactic, and you're 
retreat and charge turn to retreat and charge with three units, I've never used it. Like situations where you have to retreat that many units, it's really like that's a battle tactic that requires you to have four units do very specific things. Like the situations where that's coming up is, really, yeah. I think, really unusual. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Perhaps me saying I like the battle tactics is more the case that I only actually have to ever think about four of them, and that is just <laughs> more enjoyable. That I can just wipe the others yeah, from maybe. my mind. I mean, yeah, maybe that's fair. I quite like Intimidate the Invaders. I think that's my favourite bit of design in all of the battle tactics. I think it's like ferocious advance done correctly. Um, yeah. that's The rest, I think, are quite some of the worst battle tactics they've, they've written, really. In trying to make them hard, I think they've they've made them shite, which is <laughs> maybe a, a <laughs> maybe a fine line yeah. to balance. But I don't. I thought last seasons were really bad. To be honest, yeah. I, don't, I don't think these are worse. Okay, that's fair. Enough. I, last yeah. seasons were a bit easier, I guess. But... Yeah, I'm. I mean, I remain not thrilled, but not sure quite how I feel on on it as a mechanic. It probably doesn't need to exist. Like. I've just written a thing for old Goonhammer about the the one thousand point battle pack in the latest White Dwarf, and one of the things they've done with that is like completely pulled out grand strategies and battle tactics, and it's just nice and simple. Mm. So, yeah, whether it's too simple for longevity is another question, but yeah, they're not my favourite bit of the game or of this implementation. In standard match play, I want some kind of secondary objective system, but. I hope the next edition they just try something different. Just I like yeah. second ed's like a hidden objective yeah. thing. They were they were not perfect. There's definitely not a perfect system because I oh, think God, no. the way they actually actually got implemented in most third party tournaments was by not using them rules as written. But yeah, just sort of using a weird agreement. Yeah, but I, I think it's definitely one of the spaces in AOS four that they could they could look to change things up. Anyway, yeah. It's one of my hopes for future Battle Scrolls as well, is I think they could absolutely address book tactics because they've started to do it now and they could just do it more. More. Yeah. More. Yeah. I had this. We'll just talk about this when we get to the Battle Scroll, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can we just touch very briefly on the battalions? I Ooh, yeah. I think the battalions are good. Like, they're not super impactful. They're not going to, they're not like bounty hunter level. They'll be all over the place but they're kind of fine if you weren't going for a one drop you might take them that feels good you'll never see the anti-wizard one i have seen the anti-wizard have you okay hell is that just because they had nothing else to take it just seems pointlessly bad i think i'm sure i've seen it in a list that someone wrote yeah, I, I think you do sometimes end up with armies. You're just going like, mm, what can yeah, I yeah, do yeah. with these three units? Oh, yeah. Um, All the time with Ben Splitters. Why not? Sure. Yeah. The, the... It's better. I think it's, I'd take that ahead of a lot of the sort of other core battalions that aren't Battle Regiment, Warlord, or Command Entourage. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's probably better than Vanguard. I'm more likely to remember it than I am. <laughs> Once per game, you can do this thing for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The actual wizard one yeah. again is super situational, but when it's good, if you've got the bodies to put in it, when it's good, it's very very. Good. Why not have the extra primal dice? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So again, I think Starborn they fulfil it basically yeah. by existing, and they really like it. So yeah, yeah, good. I had completely forgotten about those. 
I'm interested to see if I can sort of negotiate a list with the Crawl Boys where I can get a couple of shamans in it because I think it would be nice for some of their spells mm. because they're, cause they're just a little single cast. Getting the extra boost I think might be worth it. And there's not a lot else compelling to put because you have to, not to go off on a rant about Crawl Boys, but because you have to have so much stuff now, like you're bouncing off the limit of your character allocation. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> Everything, never, everything's 100 You're never points. getting down to a one drop. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, you're never getting... You, like, cannot fit it all in a battle regiment. And you can still get a battle regiment in there. I think there are some situations where you could probably run, like, a battle regiment and a warlord battalion. <laughs> you just go um, double battle reg. I think there's probably space somewhere to put the, the little wizard one in. Mad, but maybe. I mean, nasty hexes are really good spell. Horrifying. So, anyway, yeah, not to, not to go on. That's what we're here yeah. for, right? To like yeah. be hyper specific about how everything affects our own niche factions that no one else plays. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> Assuming I know the army well enough to do that, yeah. Yeah. So, battle plans. Um, Let's, battle plans, yeah, yeah. Let's um, talk quite vaguely on these, probably because I haven't fully absorbed all of them yet. But um, mm, same, I think they seem good to me broadly. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I got rid of weird deployments. No, like weird twisty deployments, mm. really. Which is yeah. There's there's one like S shaped one. It's, yeah, it's not too bad. Uh, there is one wonky one that... One where you can deploy straight into combat? Yes, there is, yeah. So there's one that doesn't have the text saying you have to be more than nine inches from enemy units. Whether people seem to think that needed to be FAQ'd and then there was an FQ and it was not in there. So uh, yeah. I have actually played that battle plan and my opponent did deploy on the fucking line. I did not. I elected to not do that. No. But as it stands, it's actually kind of cool with it. I play a lot of Middler. That's got quite a mm. few scenarios where you just like deploy almost directly into combat. Yeah. So I think maybe it can work. I quite like the idea of having a mission potentially there where you're very close to each other. Maybe deploying directly, like actually already in a fight. It's a bit wonky for match play AOS, but. That being said, the, the mission itself was yeah. really good. I really like the deployment. I really like the the placement of objectives. I think it was, it was good. So, last GHB, I think maybe Scops thought they were a bit better than we did, but generally we agreed the battle plans were not very good. And part of that was that they are all a bit samey. There were sort of lots of low yeah. numbers of objectives on the board. Well, this time around, they... So my overwhelming feeling reading these battle plans was they listened to what was wrong with all of the other ones and there are now as just like a real diversity of how many objectives there are. There's like four battle plans with six objectives. Some of them obviously bleed objectives over time, but you they are like there at the start. There's a five objective one. Yeah. There's only one two objective one, and it's one you'll never see. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> no, I think it's cool. I really, I really like it. The gimmicks yeah. are really impactful. So again, I think your mileage varies on that. I quite like them because they they remind me of old school Wild West AOS 
where just you take d3 more yeah. wounds for running why did you run idiot yeah. I, <laughs> I like i like that in principle but i think my problem with the gimmicks is that i know that in a bunch of the games i will forget it until halfway through the game or we'll forget it in a key turn and this has already happened to me in one one of the two games i've played yeah we forgot the gimmick on a key turn and after the game we had a bit and we went oh shit, you couldn't have held that objective because you retreated. And then we had mm. to go, no, it's fine. It wouldn't have made any difference because this, this, and this. But I feel like, you know, by halfway through the season, everyone will be on top of it. Yeah. We'll know what they are. It will be all right. But it is very easy to forget that kind of stuff. Yes, it is. And I do, I suppose I have, could, I don't necessarily want that to be the defining thing about the battle plan. I'd rather, I want them to be good in terms of how many objectives there are and good deployments and stuff. Mm. And then the gimmick to be a kind of bonus and hopefully that will be yeah. the case. It feels to me like they have got that about right. There'll obviously be some that will never get used. That's always the case. It feels like the hit rate on this one is a lot higher. And like the the bad ones are not as bad as <laughs> this previously like unplayable. There's no relocation orb, right? Like when I say like the oh, wizard's tower one sure. probably won't get played, it's still actually not that bad a scenario for a for a two objective one, it's pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So does this book still have a variant on Knife to the Heart, like so, an auto-win? Or... There's a two-objective one, but it's not an auto-win, I don't think. I'll have to double-check hmm. that. It's the one where you... you I haven't noticed an auto-win one. Hope, I mean, if they've actually given up on Knife to the Heart after eight years, that's incredible. TOs are going to have to find like a different anti-draw tiebreaker. Yeah. It's just how many battle tactics did you score usually? Yeah, Towers in the Tundra is, is VP, score VP for holding objectives. So. Yeah. And also... I quite like it as a bit of drama, but... Uh, yeah. That seems to I hate auto-win battle plans. I just hate them. I find them really stressful. It's that you could lose in battle round two and there'd be no recourse, was what sucked about some of them. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah, like, I... I prefer to lose in battle round two and then find out about it in battle round five. <laughs> yeah. This wasn't the So last year's, last season's auto win one, this wasn't the case, with, but yeah. it was very easy to have gotcha scenarios where one player didn't quite understand the scenario and just accidentally lost. And the last yeah. one, like Lurkers Below, was probably about as good as a mm-hmm. one where you can just win it at some point is going to be, but it still never saw any play. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, do, I agree with that, actually, from a like player experience, especially for l- less experienced players. I think in an LGT singles event, like, oh, God, like four years ago, probably, at this point, I uh, I lost Knife to the Heart because I didn't realise it would be at any point in yeah. about round three yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, same. Than, So... Yeah, I think we've all we've all had that knife to the heart story. <laughs> I think most people do. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing we noticed about the battle plans is, I think, like with the previous load of battle plans, they're obviously trying to force you into the middle to have a big fight, and they're trying that again, but in a different way. And I think what they're using is they're utilizing like more of the board space now. So there's more objectives on the board, but there's a lot more objectives in no man's land as well. And a lot fewer, like within your territories, especially like wholly within your territories. So there's way, way fewer yes. battle plans where you start holding an objective. So in a vacuum, this fucking fantastic set of battle plans for bone splitters. Only in a vacuum. <laughs> 
I do think it's <laughs> good broadly, only in a vacuum, yeah. which we don't live in. More on that in a couple of minutes. <laughs> I think, yeah, it, it, I like this change because uh, it's not universal, but there are those armies out there, like the worst instances of Teclis plus a load of Sentinels or a load of Sentinels plus a load of Wind Chargers or like, well, so many things, like probably Seraphon or another one that I would point at, mm. like where they just sort of want to sit in a home and then reach out and grab one central objective to turn the tide at some point and yeah. just sort uh, of something yeah. that makes them all come forwards a bit more, I think can only be yeah. a good thing. It makes choice of first turn more interesting as well, because you've got the opportunity to go first and take board control yeah. and seize objectives and deny your That's historically been the, the bonus for going first in AOS, right? It's been that sort of board control, but I definitely agree that it's rewarded more now than it has been previously. So yeah, I think broadly, I think we're all, all giving these a thumbs up. Until eight months down the line when we hate them. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> That's so overall, eight. yeah. Three. Good. <laughs> good. Good. Battle. Thumbs up. So, no. General's Handbook. Good battle on General's Handbook, yeah. I think. Um, did I... Am I wrong? Or was it slightly cheaper as well? So it didn't come with the points. Uh, £30, I think. So, the last think, one might have yeah. been 35 I think we saved. So, I, I think the last one ah, didn't. No one wants a point either. Book. So it might have been the one before that was more expensive. But I think everyone remembered the last one feeling really expensive because they knew it was only going to be around for six months and it sucked. So it just <laughs> felt felt so bad to buy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I never, I never actually bought a hard copy of it. Yeah. But you still get the tokens of the battle tactics and stuff as well. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think I will be going out and buying it. So, so moving on then, other other things to have impressions on. We also received a battle scroll or FAQ. Well, actually, we received both battle scroll and a load of FAQs. Any impressions from this? I guess the thing we've hinted at already is that certain armies received an extra battle tactic <laughs> like a new book battle tactic how is that your thing you go to about the battle squad <laughs> one army ha- got a battle tactic <laughs> they fix coherency let's start so, there so yeah. cool boy right, we right can now. start with uh, cool boys talk about cool no, boys no no you're right actually actually coherency is the best change oh. no we're doing cool boys first go okay yeah cool boys get a new well sorry or at warclans get two new battle tactics Oh, God. Oh, fuck me. How <laughs> how many armies are there in Uruk Warclans? Again, remind me. It's two, isn't it? I think it's just two. Why did Bone Splitters not get one? Why did Bone Splitters not get a fucking battle tactic? That's so weird. Or any points changes. They are genuinely absent. I hadn't considered that before, but that is very strange. Yeah. <laughs> and and Big War doesn't get one, although no, but 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 because yeah. the way they're worded, Big War can use they those other two. Also absent. Am I right in thinking they were like completely absent from the point? Both well? yeah, totally, yeah, yes. So the, <laughs> the key thing with how Big War works is that yeah. they can use these Cruel Boys ones and these Iron Jaws ones. 
So Big Wire does get them. Big Wire gets them. Yeah. So yeah, I think Big Wire only gets one. It has to be your general, right? But yeah, yeah. I guess why there's another like both of those new battle yeah. tactics look quite good. Yeah. Yeah, the crawl brace one I used and mm. scored, which is nice <laughs> in a game. It's about being not near enemies and near terrain units with all your models, which seems all your models seems quite. Mm. Oh, sorry, all your units. It's nice um, it seems quite painful, but judging by what stays alive and what dies really quickly, it's not that hard. Really. <laughs> so. I tell you what, it's it's fucking incredible in Big World where you can just have one unit. Ooh. Oh god, yeah, yeah, because it's every friendly yeah. cool boys unit. Like when you've just got one big unit of bolt points or Gordrak, yeah. even. Yeah. And then the Iron Jaws one is and have the, two or more friendly Iron Jaws units within three inches of the center of the battlefield. It's going to be a pain in the ass to measure, but seems again, yeah. solid. Good, good yeah. for Big War and good for Iron Jaws. Yeah, yep, doing what yeah. the army wants to do. I mean, I guess the principle of using the battle scroll to give armies that have rubbish faction battle tactics interesting faction battle tactics is surely something we have to applaud. It's just absolutely baffling to me. They've done it I, for exactly yes. two armies. Why don't Sons well, of Bermat yeah. get one? Yeah. <laughs> just why? Or Stormcast? What did they do? Or oh, Bone Splitters. <laughs> covered that already. I've said that. <laughs> yeah. Why do two subparts Two subparts of I, one, and yet I will die mad about it. <laughs> yeah, you will. You'll be you'll the... be hiring a friend, and you'll be charging to Nottingham, carrying a big stick over your head. <laughs> yeah, Rich, you will be that friend. Oh God, I'm not sure I could run to Nottingham from where either of us lives. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I I won't dwell on it too much, but being absolutely yeah. fully yeah. fucking absent. Despite being an, an abysmal army, I think to me is because they're not—they haven't forgotten that the army exists, right? I don't think that's actually possible. I'm going to assume I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. They haven't forgotten bone splitters exist. Um, so the the other options there are one is that they're doomed, and that something is coming in the future that will just gut them. But then I wouldn't have. Printed loads of stuff the other Oric War Clans at the same time, if like a new Oric War Clans book was coming without them in or something. And I wouldn't foreshadow it like this. You'd have a Warcom announcement that they had to cities. So the other option is that there's something coming for Bonesmiths in the future that renders us moot. That's my hopium. That's the pure, unbridled hope that Dawnbringer Crusades is going to have some sort of talk with the bone. They're dying for a piece of fiction where all the new units from Cities of Sigma are killing bone splitters just so that they're acknowledged. I think they live in the Twilight Zone where they are too old for them to want to include them in the AOS, but when Old World releases, they're going to be too new to be put in Old World. So yeah. <laughs> they're just going to be burnt in a yeah, big skip I, in the car park. I think you're probably just assuming more logic behind the battle scroll than there is and they just didn't think about it or there wasn't enough text in that bit of space to fit a bones for this battle tactic in. Not logic, it's malice. <laughs> that is quite strange, yeah. Maybe there just wasn't because they do so much of it these days based on, they actually do it based on the evidence they get from the stats right? Is Could it legit just be not enough people playing bone splitters to have interesting stats? Yeah, has that one person stopped playing them? <laughs> 
But then previously, when when we got yeah. the crazy nerfs, that was based on a similar number of people playing. So, uh, where do you? That is true. So, are they just going to give up? Is that two that people play true. it, giving yeah. up? Yeah, I I just found this very odd, very odd, and so I'm going to draw wild conclusions based on that. Fair. In a minute, I'm going to moan That's about fair. one unit in an army I like That's going up by ten points. So, you know. Okay, yeah. should we talk about more generic stuff? Sorry, now that I've dragged us into Oryx. Oh. They fixed coherency. Yeah, it's so good. They copied forty k. Well, I didn't fix it. It's a lot better. <laughs> I like it. So the only change here is two to six yeah. models rather than two to five models have to be coherent, huge, uh, which is massive because anything that better. comes in threes, like annihilators, yeah. uh, big cavalry, Endron riggers, Endron. Uh, I care about them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but yes, it is really good for them. Kernoth hunters. Yes, Kernoths. Coincidence that you've started building a unit of six Kernoth hunters. I'm sure. It's not. It's fully not coincidence. It's, it genuinely, <laughs> genuinely, this change has impacted that decision on how I build those kits. I think it's really good. Yeah, really good. No complaints. I like it. It does give us like a twilight zone now. So the other thing here is that there is no fighting and ranks change that we thought maybe might have been coming. There's no galbets at all in this GHB. So 10, 10 model or I guess 7 plus model, 32 mil plus bases with 1 inch reach are now just fully in the realm of having to do shonky, weird pilings. Um, that's the only yes. downside. I mean, it's, a, it's a very good change. It's positive. I'm glad. There's, there was probably a more elegant way to fix the problem as a whole, but let's not complain yeah. too much. Yeah. I think we'll get the bigger fix in AOS 4, and I can live with yep. this being the... Yep reasonable solution yep. for a year. Honestly, I wonder if it might go even more towards the 40k idea where it's... I think 40k is now the same as this, except distances are two inches horizontally and five vertically, rather than one and six. The vertical, I don't... It's not massively impactful. But, like, the two-inch rating helps a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see a fighting and ranks thing. Um, again, 40k has changed a bit now to where it's like it really pushes you to be in base contact or you can fight through things that you're in base contact with, basically. Mm-hmm. Like you can fight through friendly stuff. Uh, so there's way less like picky measuring. You only like you can be in situations where you need to know what engagement range is and you're like in it but not quite touching, but there's no measuring of weapon ranges beyond that. Maybe it wouldn't work as well, but it's, it's like there's definitely trying different ideas, right? So, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. And again, I'm just glad they're trying something. Yeah, yeah. Even if I, I don't think it's yes. a perfect change, but I'm I'm so so happy they've done it. It's one of my favorite rule changes this entire yeah. edition. Is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd maybe like it if you know, like the two model in range coherency was relevant for infantry, but not cavalry, maybe. Because it feels like cavalry would. The problem is, AOS, AOS doesn't have the design language to talk about units like that. No, it's not yeah. cavalry rare special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll... chaos knights have that rule for cavalry. Essentially, so the concept mm. is that 
I don't know what the concept is, to be honest, but they can fight in two ranks as cavalry, and it's fine. Ah. It's okay. Yes. We should just do that. Forever. Yeah, that's that's a, a good rule for them. It's just so annoying that they've had to spend all addition, like, patching rules onto units to make them work, and they're not doing yeah. it for some, and it just creates a very strange situation. Yeah. And it's fiddly, and it's they've done it different ways for different units, and it's just like... That's, I agree. Yeah. AOS four will probably have this sorted in a way that is is good. Yeah. Yeah. Look um, out, sir. Look out, sir. Good change, I think. I like this change. Hate yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> this is almost certainly very biased by the fact I'm playing Cowdron Overlords at the moment. Although, to be honest, so sorry to what the change is. The change is that. If you're a hero without a mount, you can't be targeted by attacks made by missile weapons. If you're near a unit of three or more models and you're being shot at by something that is more than 12 inches away. Yeah. So it's kind of a compromise between the rule mm-hmm. we had last season when you couldn't shoot them at all and what we had before, which was... I absolutely did not like the cannot shoot them at all. That was bad. Um, yeah. I think this is I an think, interesting midpoint. Yeah. I think... I don't know. I think, to be honest, I was fine with them just being targetable. But also, I don't like that there's so many magic things, it's just really easy to murder them with. But yes. shooting is just like, no, the imbalance it puts in just really that, annoys me. That I do agree is a bit annoying, but you can target, you can't target them with a gun. Like the, the idea yeah. that a line troop would throw themselves in front of their boss for a bullet, but not a magic bullet, is a bit weird. Mm. To be honest, if, if they change this rule so you can shoot a slant, I'll probably be fine. I just hate the idea of never being able to shoot the slant and it being able to murder me with impunity with magical game. It's just they're, immensely they're sat next to Saurus Guard anyway, so brackets except. I, I wonder if yeah, I wonder if there's a world where this could have been like a scaling ward save based on like how many wounds the hero mm. had. So like the smaller Ooh. heroes got like a four plus ward or whatever. Maybe cause that's that gives you better yeah. protection. Then you also. I would like it more if it was six wounds. I I would like this so much more if it was heroes with six wounds or less, not heroes with nine wounds or less. No, but other stuff as well. Like there's a fair few sort of reasonably chunky things that this excludes. Yeah, I think think that's yeah because that way you get like it would protect your small stormcast heroes, but not people like Bastion, which feels a bit Mm. like. Weird. I think he's nine wounds, eight or nine wounds. Actually, yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, it's probably fine. It just really annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, definitely not That's the fair player in yeah. talking. Yes. Again, it's 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 a change that I think is broadly positive, but there are edge case scenarios where it is not necessarily a good thing. And and you're right. Yeah, it's again, it's the same edge case scenario. Fucking starborn. Those lizards always living on the edge. Okay, so like we've already talked about Oryx. Let's just cover a couple of the other faction changes quickly. Starting in order of the Battle Scroll, Corn, Blades of Corn. How do people feel about this? So this is the murder host, murder lust. This is the one blood tithe point spent to move a unit. So previously. You spent one blood tithe, you moved three units with that one blood tithe points. Right. This is yes, one. but you can spend it up to three times. This is So it's just cool. it's 
the same okay, ability, but change. it's just less efficient on blood tithe. So previously, it was by far the best use of your blood tithe was to do this. Uh, it's still very good. Yeah, and ultimately, it's it's still an ability that lets you get into yep. combat without yep. charging in your yep. hero phase. So. It's very strong, and in your opponent's hero phase, crucially. Um, so you can lock units yes. in combats. <laughs> Possibly more impactfully. They do not want to be in. <laughs> and then force them to do things they don't want to do. So it's still a very good ability, but it's just a bit less efficient. Fine. Good change. And then Soul Blight probably yeah. got the biggest yep. nerfing and... that I've seen in a GHB for a, or a Battle Scroll for a long time. But also, they're probably still really good. <laughs> yeah. Similar theme, right? Yeah. Mm. Similar theme in that it's kind of the same, just less efficient. Yeah. You can no longer... If it's not your turn, you can't set your summon stuff up within nine inches of something. Which I think is a good change, because it was quite rude to just, like, at the end of your... Yeah, yeah. It's, you always had to be outside of three. Like and you couldn't, you basically couldn't get into combat. But now, now if it's the enemy turn, it has to be the usual outside nine. So there's less just kind of bonking a unit in front of an enemy and ruining their charge plans, which I think is probably yeah. good. Um, the zombie zombies have changed a bit as well. Yes, so um, the zombies have an ability where if you kill them, they do a mortal wound back on a five plus. Now they have to be within three inches for that to to work. So previously, because you can take zombies and units of up to sixty, that right, yeah, that's a change. Yeah. You could they could be doing it from a mile away. Now you actually have to be the ones yes. at the back would die and somehow yeah. explode into. So now you have ranks. to pull from the front rank if you want to do damage. Which again, zombies are still very good. So fine. Right, Lumineth changed to the Great Nation of Helon. They're... They still are better when they are shooting things that are near them. But now it's plus one to hit and wound rather than plus one attack. Is that right? That is correct. You're the Lumineth player. I'm not a Helon player. Probably why I don't win games with them. But yes, yeah, so this... it used to be that if you were shooting something that was close to you, you got plus one attack, which was amazing uh, when you're fishing for more wounds on fives and sixes. Whereas now yeah. you get plus one to hit and plus one to wound, which is still good. Yeah. But sort of deals with the problematic element of it. So them- thematically, yeah, thematically as well, Helon is like the kangaroo faction. And this buff is much better on that unit than it is on Sentinels. When previously yes. it was much better on Sentinels than it was on the kangaroos. <laughs> yeah, that's a good change. So, yeah. Just like a, a easy positive change to the faction. Yeah. Before we move off of the battle scroll, uh, I don't suggest we go through the points changes in much detail, but is there any other than they forgot that bone splitters exist <laughs> to... Um, do either of you have any thoughts on points changes in general? Um, I think fast lives have been quite hard done by in going up on points when most other stuff has come down. I don't feel they were doing 
that well that needed to happen, to be honest. And I'm absolutely baffled as to why Cavalos Death Riders have gone up 10 points. <laughs> I know it's only 10 points, but it is completely confusing to me. They didn't seem, they're not that great at the moment. They still have the coherence issue because you run them in, you want to run them in a 10 for the most part. And they went up. Don't understand. Anyway, it's not worth dwelling on, but I just wanted to express my rage at this. That's fair. That's fair. So, how do you feel about four gatebreakers? No. I wish I'd magnetised my gargants, <laughs> but I didn't. So, I have no strong views on this. <laughs> I don't feel great about it. <laughs> I feel like the different gargan types are less different from each other than they used to be. Yeah. To be honest, I think in the more recent book. So I think four gatebreakers is probably fine. I don't necessarily think you would want mm-hmm. to run four gatebreakers ahead of more of a mix these days. I think the war stomp is quite good. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm quite not pleased. I haven't done any list building yet. I'm quite interested in the Maggot King changes. Lots of stuff in Maggot King just came down. By sort yeah. of 20 to 30 points, 10, 20, 30 points, which I think probably, no, I mean, one of the notable things that hasn't come down is Putrid Blight Kings, which I think is still near enough 250 points for a unit of five. But um, they, this probably does mean that in certain army builds, you're getting like an extra unit of plague bearers or something into your starring army, which is quite good because they are resilient. Plague bearers themselves have come down to 130 yeah. from 150, which feels like a more natural place than to be, I think, as well. As a little unit that's quite resilient, but only has like one attack each. Like... They're 20 wounds, right? Yeah, 20 wounds is great. Like They're a good roadblock, especially with the ward, but they're... That's really good, yeah. They're not a damage yeah. output. Could you just look up how many points a unit of Savage Oryx is? Just really quickly. Well, not on this document, no. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Savage Oryx. Uh, uh, so, I said I would turn it to a bit, and I have. 160 <laughs> points. There we go. Yeah, there you go. No. And few little changes to Sylvaneth, I think. Again, might get you an extra unit of something in there across an army, but... Um... So it, it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. So, Oh. <laughs> yeah. Most of the Sylvaneth changes to units that are just like fully rubbish and you'll never see or aren't enough. So the only thing I would note is that in the list building I've been doing, the great sword point drop doesn't get you an extra unit, but it brings them down enough that you can fit them into points gaps that were available in lists you would already have been building when previously you couldn't. So that that is, I think, the most interesting points drop. Mm. There. Otherwise, like Lady of Arms is just like crap. So, yeah. Sorry, Ogres. Weird. <laughs> we don't have to talk about Ogres. I'm sorry, I've interrupted twice for something I know very little about. I was just surprised they came down because I thought they were in a reasonably decent place. Um, and those are like reasonably significant changes for me. A few, notably the Stonehorns, went up in points, which are like book after book after book are the best thing in there. And the Iron Blaster did not appear in the points changes. I'm sort of surprised they didn't go up a little bit. I guess they already did that change 
and it's obviously been enough yeah. to stop it. I think they'd already changed it enough that the, the like four Iron Blaster spam lists had kind of become impossible. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, like Ogres again is an army that you build lists and end up with like quite annoying points gaps sometimes between mm-hmm. going like sort of like ending up taking quite different list to what you planned because otherwise you end up with like a 120 point gap at the end so yeah it's nice to see some some things change around that should be a little bit easier to squeak some stuff in i got the shit kicked out of me by iron guts in a narrative game not very long ago iron guts still very good i am surprised to see them come down by 30 points for unit four to be honest maybe that is the most significant one there but that is still 240 points for 16 yeah, wounds right. on like a four up save, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. KO all went up. Oh. Mm. <laughs> KO all went up, yeah. <laughs> Good. Fair. I mean, KO changes are fine. I think they make sense. Yep. Yeah. There's some pretty significant deepkin changes as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, there are. Bloodthirsty Shiver coming down by 60 points. That's three sharks, so that's a cumulative shark point drop. So Deepkin are an army. So if you don't like know the ins and outs of an army, these like seas of green or whatever can sometimes be like really difficult to read what they mean because, like you said earlier, with Sylvanath, or maybe you squeak an extra unit in and you absolutely don't. But with Deepkin, all of these like minus tens, minus twenties, you actually do get an extra unit in this army now, like a full extra. T- like I played a game against Friends of Pod Chris with the new. GHB, but not with a new battle scroll. And that army I ran, I then played against Laura, like after the battle scroll, and I just had a full extra unit in that army, which I didn't have before. And every, especially with elves, every extra unit you get is so big. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Shall we talk about some games we've played then on that topic? The notes are coming out. We had some listener <laughs> feedback that people wanted us to talk in a bit more detail about some of the games, so I made notes to enable me to do that. Although I think because we're on a bit of a time limit, we're not going to talk about every game we've played, but we're going to pick a couple to chat about. Yeah, mm-hmm. you made notes. I made a face and said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Although my game was only yesterday, so hopefully I can remember some. <laughs> Go on, right. you, you guys So start. Matthew and I played a game which was Matthew's Iden F. Deepkin against my Caradon Overlords, and we played the new scenario, Lines of Communication, which I haven't read anything about in my notes. It's three objectives, I think, and its gimmick is that the person who goes second gets to choose a phase in which the other player, every time they spend a command point on a three plus, they have to spend two. And spoilers... Matthew got to do that in every phase and every single time I spent a command in every turn and every single time I spent a command point in a relevant phase, he rolled a three plus and it was quite annoying. So <laughs> should we just briefly summarize our lists? I guess I ran Caradron Overlords. I'm trying to make Endrin Riggers work. So yeah. I had an Ironclad. I had a Frigate. I had two units of six Endrin Riggers. I had three Sky Wardens. I had, you know, Arcanauts. And I had some heroes, so I had an Admiral, a Navigator, an Endrin Master with Dirigible Suit, and a Code Right, which I was trying out to see what they're like. I think that was my army. Matthew? 
I had an Achillean King in like the Smash King setup. You can't do full Smash King anymore, but like as smashy as the King can be. Aspect of the Storm, Tidecaster, which is my little one-cast wizard trying it out for the new book. Spoilers didn't do anything. A Leviadon, <laughs> two two units of Nomato Thralls, a reinforced unit of Morsar Guards, and a reinforced unit of Alopexes. So I was loads of drops and you were like two drops or something, so you very sensibly made me one. go first. And I immediately played extraordinarily badly, forgot which footnote I'd taken for my KO and chose a battle tactic that it was not actually possible for me to achieve. I never realised that at the end of my hero phase. I went, yeah, I fucked this completely. So that was a good start. So I had a very quiet turn one. So for KO fans, I chose the one that means you've got to get into the opponent's territory and drop a bunch of dwarfs off your boat. But to do that, I needed to be able to use two command points on the same boat in a turn, and I hadn't taken the ability that lets me do that, so I couldn't. But at least I realised before I tried to do it, I just flew my boat into a corner. So as it turned out, I had a very quiet turn one. Yeah, the other thing affecting your turn one was my turn one ability reduced your range to 12 inches. Yes, so I couldn't actually shoot you without getting close to you, which I felt was a really bad idea, so I didn't even try. I just moved up, scored a couple of objectives. It would have been. I think this was the turn when my navigator was amazing. So KO navigators in the hero phase can roll six dice, and any ones do D3 mortal wounds to a unit and reduce the move of that unit. I rolled four ones, so it was great. I got to do that, and it was very helpful. But that was really the only good thing that happened at the turn. I just scored some objectives, messed up my battle tactic. And then I think you also had a very quiet turn one, though I failed to cover this in my notes I did, in yeah. detail. I, I Essentially, because of that navigator ability, I couldn't unpack my army fully from out of my deployment zone, so it left me with... I think I could only... I just took one objective and got my battle tactic and didn't really do much damage. I think I shot some stuff and didn't get into any yeah. melee. So I, I, we had a very quiet battle round one. Yeah. So in turn two, I won priority and I focused on trying to kill your Alapexes and your Aspect of the Storm, which were out on sort of my right flank. So it meant I could focus on them without getting too close to the rest of your army. And I had an absolute, I had one of those KO shooting phases when it all goes wrong. So I did not kill the Aspect of the Storm. I think I did a bit of damage to it with the Phosphorite Bomblets and I put a few wounds on it, but most of my shooting just failed. So I ended up charging the Endrin Master in to see if he could do anything to it in combat, and he couldn't. But I did kill the Alapexes. I got a charge into them with the frigate, and it got its impact hits off and killed them very straightforwardly. So mixed turn, it would have been good to have killed the Aspect of the Storm, but killed the Alapexes, and my army was still reasonably yeah. sort of safe. So part of the issues you had that turn as well was when you moved the frigate, your plan was to charge the Alapexes but still shoot the aspect of the storm. But I redeploy those Alapexes to make them the closest unit to the frigate. Yes. So it had to shoot the Alapexes. So I, I knowingly threw those Alapexes away because I think they might have survived that combat otherwise. But in doing so, kept the storm alive. The storm, this happens a lot. He's surprisingly tanky. Mm. It's only a 12-wound model, but the 3-up the save and the 5-plus ward, and because it's a hero, you can find the star room and all that. It, it, he lasts a surprising amount of time. I'm quite confident in him. But I think in return, I also had a, a relatively tame turn two. My shooting didn't really do anything 
um, yeah. this game. You were trying to, you wanted to kill my Endrin Master with shooting so you could then get the aspect of the storm, disengage and charge other things, but that didn't happen. Yes. So we had to fight the Endrin Master in combat yeah. and you did kill him then. And I think you killed my Archonauts. Yeah, and that, yeah, that affected where I, and because the, so my plan was to hop the aspect of the storm because it can retreat and charge out of combat and then to charge to heal him again. And because of the way he had been, um, you got the navigator debuff on him again in your turn that restricted my ability to retreat him. So meaningfully, I I would have taken more objectives than I, I actually did this time. I think I still got the full five points, but it would have given me all three. Not that that yeah. makes a huge yeah, difference, it but it would it yeah. makes you have to actively go and take that off me again. So that, that was yeah. a big effect again of the navigator. It was doing really well. I think... All I really did this turn was shoved the shoved the Leviathan into like the middle of the board as like another piece, just saying, "Okay, deal with this." And then the Morsar guard just went and mm. mopped up one flank, basically just yeah, they killed the killed whatever was there. Yeah. So in turn yeah. three, I got priority again. I I made a right mess of this turn. My sort of vague plan had been to ignore the Leviathan and see if I could sort of go around the back of your army and focus on your thralls. But I just made a right mess of positioning, and it just wasn't feasible. So I ended up having to focus on the Leviathan, because the rule that Deepkin have that means you have to shoot the closest unit just meant that otherwise there wasn't really anywhere I could do anything meaningful. But that said, it actually went reasonably well. So I did a lot of runes to the turtle. Mm. What always happens with turtles, which I always forget, is that once you do some runes to them, they start degrading and their save gets less good. And at that point, they die fairly quickly. So I took it down to, I think, two runes left. And then I debated charging it. But at this point, we're on turn three, which is the Idenf high tide turn. And I, I think sensibly decided it would be a really bad idea because if I charged, you'd have got to do a monstrous rampage, which would have done tons of damage to me. And then you'd have fought first. And I would probably just have thrown some units away for the sake of doing two wounds to a turtle, which, you know, by the point when it's on two wounds, I'm going to be able to kill it fairly easily if it charges me with an unleashed head or something like that. So, so I spent most of the turn yeah. putting a lot of damage into the turtle but did enough to it that I felt okay about it at the end of that point, I think. But then you had a yeah. really, really good turn three, which I will let you talk about. This, <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> every now and again, High Tide just fucking bails you out. Like, this has been such a quiet game for me so far. I'd killed almost nothing. And then I'd done some really weird positioning my previous turn where stuff was just too far away from where it needed to be. So I had to make some absolute monster charges which I did make, which, again, that really bailed me out. So the Killing King, what the Killing King wants to see, the full Smash King, basically the thing that makes him a Smash King is when he charges, he gets an extra pip of rend and he gets an extra pip of damage. So he goes to be rend three, damage three. And his command trait is plus two attacks for every enemy unit within three inches. So like a KO boat is like a pinata to this guy it's all he wants to see is a boat full of dwarden because there's like six units within three inches i think i think he came into it with nine damage three attacks put and did 18 damage with just his with just his pole arm into the ironclad and then with the rest of his melee weapons killed the endron riggers and then the eels picked up the ironclad so and I was so I was one attack through 
killing your general with the Namatai thralls as well. So that was almost the perfect turn. But yeah, sometimes high tide just bails you out. And sometimes having models with high quality attacks, they actually go through. I'm looking at you, Spirit of Durthu. And <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do kill what they're supposed to kill. So yeah, that was good. Good stuff. Enjoyed yeah. that. Deep can also have an amazing battle tactic, which is just kill two units in high tide. So, yeah, at this point, I had significantly less of my army left. So what I did was take pretty much everything I had left, except for a couple of small heroes, off to my left flank, which meant I could grab an, an empty objective with my frigate and I could... Uh, it scored me a battle tactic. I can't remember what a battle tactic was, but there was something I could get quite easily for it. But it did mean I didn't have a very impactful turn in terms of killing stuff. I think maybe the frigate had a nine-inch charge that could have got it into stuff, but it failed it. So I just ended up sitting there on an objective, waiting for your eels to come across the board and murder me, which I think they probably did. They did. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the, then in my turn, the eels came along and... I kind of played it conservatively and put all of their attacks into the frigate. And they popped it with just just the riders, yeah. so the eels themselves could probably have killed the the riggers, but didn't. But it, it turned out not to really matter anyway, because once the the boats are down, the actually mobility of your army is really low. Yeah. So your turn five, I, I feel like there wasn't really much you could have done. Yeah, I was just trying to score as many points as possible, and it ended up that. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of needed everything to go perfectly to score both objectives and a battle tactic. And I think I ended up getting the battle tactic, which is the one where you charge a bunch of stuff in and something stood in combat at the end. But I didn't get the objectives yeah. because my engine riggers whiffed completely, totally and utterly against the eels. And partly because I forgot about my sub-faction ability, which would have actually been quite helpful at this point. I don't think they would have wiped the eels, but they might have done significantly more than they did. The other entertaining mm. thing that was happening at this point was that the king, having killed the ironclads, then decided to be utterly useless and failed miserably to kill like, my small heroes. So my admiral had a moment when he could have killed the king for glory and not actually wouldn't have made any difference in gaming terms, but it would just have been amusing. But he whiffed that as well. So he just stood there having a slap fight. Yeah, but then I think by that, yeah, we had, we had three three heroes dueling it out and failing miserably. Yeah. But then I think on your turn five, you'd pretty much also won because I hadn't got enough points to be competitive, and you'd scored your grand strategy, and I hadn't. Yeah, and I, yeah. yes, yeah. it was that. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun game. I didn't think I played mm. very well. I forgot quite a lot of rules, but it was it was enjoyable, and it feels like Deep King Ko is a much better matchup than it used to be. Oh yeah. yeah. Definitely. The other thing we should have said is not you had your wizard failed to cast a single spell in the whole game because I had a couple of heroes who could unbind and they just kept on doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the been my experience so far with that hero. Not very useful. Rich, do you want to talk about one of your games? Yeah. Well, there is only one to talk about, so <laughs> So I played yesterday at the time of recording against a friend of the show, Zach, a.k.a. Bear. And he was running Fireslayer list with loads of little characters. <laughs> a rune... I think it was a rune sun on Magmadroth. And 
then two lots of ten Hearthguard Berserkers and one lot of ten Volkite Berserkers. And he had two of the characters that let you deep strike a unit with them. So Rune Smiters. Deployed... Rune Smiters, thank you. So he deployed both of those into reserves with a unit, one of them with the ten Volkites and one of them with ten Hearthguards. And we played the same scenario as you, the Disrupt... Lines of communication. Community. Lines of communication, thank you. So I was running Cruel Boys for the first time, a sort of a tester for seeing how well that actually goes. So my list was big yellows to get the extra three inches of range on the guns. And it was Gobsprack, Swamp Boss Scumdrak, who is the named Sludge Raker and is now cheaper than a generic Sludge Raker, despite, as far as I could tell, actually being a better War Scroll. I think the only difference is that its bite attack is an extra point of damage. So, so I think the rider himself has D three rather than flat damage. Is I think the main. Oh, difference. that might be the difference. Yeah, but yeah. Otherwise, basically, has all the same abilities. He also has an extra thing about making a bet with a unit of hobgrots, which I forgot that can like win you an extra triumph for one of them to use, but. Yeah, it's 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 whatever. weird rule that whatever. So Gobsprack, that a killer boss on Great Nash Tooth, the the dog thing, dog rat, a breaker boss on Maya Brute Trogoth, the troll, who was my general, had the fasten trait to make him go faster, not that it mattered in the end, and the Mork's Eye Pebble was the artifact I chose, which gives you a ward in a shooting phase. Obviously, that was just because I built this list as like a what would I probably take. That was obviously useless against Fire Slayers. Crowboys and... artifacts are so bad. Yeah, I probably should have just chosen something else. And then two Swamp Caller Shamans, two lots of ten Gut Rippers, two lots of ten. Hobgrots and a unit of nine bolt boys and a unit of three bolt boys. I think that was everything. Um, As the token person so, who cares about fire slayers, I've now found Zach's list and I'm just going to say it was a rune father on Magmadoth, not a rune son on Magmadoth. Oh, it was a father. Right, okay. I wasn't, I couldn't remember. It was a rune someone. The. Rooney lad. So I had a battle regiment, which meant I was five drops versus Zach's like ten or so. So I ended up with choice of first turn, gave it away to Zach fairly predictably. I guess he deep struck a unit of each, like one unit of Volkites onto one of the wide objectives and a unit of Hearthguard onto the other and got good scoring for turn one. He, in my turn one, then... Oh, he moved the Magmadroth forward onto the central objective. He then... In my turn one, he used he had the list that lets him take like four artifacts, and he had an artifact on the Magma Droth that was once per one phase in a game you can give it a three upward. So he gave that to the Magma Droth to basically stop me shooting it or stop me shooting it with value. So I think my turn one, I like ran some Hobgrots and Gut Rippers on one flank up onto an objective to take that. I moved a few things, some hobgrots and the Maya brute forward in the middle to start and start getting towards that middle objective. And on the right, some gut rippers went forward, not to engage the Hearthguard berserkers because that's a death sentence, but 
just to sort of, you know, at least screen something else in the army. <laughs> and the characters sort of vaguely shuffled forwards. But I shot off most of the Volkites, I think six or seven of them. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah, did okay. I think I killed, like, I might have taken like one wound off the unit of Hearthguard on the other side with the smaller unit of Bolt Boys. <laughs> I left the Magmadroth alone. Zach won the roll off into turn. Oh, I scored all my points. Zach won the roll off into turn two, and the Magmadroth just basically managed to, like, kill the 10 Holgrots screening the general on the Mybrute and kill the Mybrute Trogoth in a single round of combat, which was painful. Did he have to get to go twice thing? He did, but I don't think he used it he killed it so it killed basically it killed between that and a few thrown axes oh and sorry he had some invocations magnetic invocations so he had the wall and the thing the dinosaur infernoth <laughs> the infernoth so the between the infernoth killed a few of the hobgrots the flame breather and the magnetros killed a few of the hobgrots because he hadn't used it in turn one, it was higher rend and stuff like. So I think he left one hobgrot alive, and like charged basically past it into the dire. They killed it in a round of combat. Funnily enough, didn't use a second round of combat to kill one hobgrot. It sort of took that objective on the the left flank. He killed the little. Uh, he this was the turn I think he took a battle tactic to have his have stuff charge but remain in combat. Yeah, so Volkite Berserkers sure was... specifically don't have to do it. Yeah, it was the Volkite one. And they charged the Hobgrots and didn't do much because I think there was only three of them alive. They don't do much as a time of life. <laughs> <laughs> and he also had a Grimrath Berserker on that side which charged into the gut rippers and killed quite a few. I think he even killed half the gut rippers. This my stuff over there sort of fought back but mm kind of slowly sort of whittled away a bit. I think my turn two was quite good from like a, a play point of view apart from that I just scored no points. So I ended up having, I chose the is it led into the maelstrom I think the battle tactic that's like a leader and a unit charge and one yeah. of them still has to be in combat and I charged I charged my killer boss into the Grimrath Berserker and I shot off the big unit of Bolt Boys killed the Magma Droth actually it might have been both units of Bolt Boys Anyway, I did a lot of more wounds to the Magma Droth. I think I did like <laughs> 20 mortal wounds to the Magma Droth or something. The poison aura from the the Sludge Raker is really, really good. The poison yeah. from the, the priests is really good. The priests, sorry, the shamans. The shooting is where the damage comes from, by and large, in this army. Um, trying to cast lots of spells. I cast... Or frost quite a few times onto Scumdrek, and I don't think it was ever useful. Mm. I only ever rolled a one on the D three, and he doesn't really need like a two plus. I, I was fishing for like a three up rend on his volume attack, um, but as it is, it's, it's actually like 
as I've sort of learned through the game, kind of less and less useful because actually a lot of the mount attacks get the venom-encrusted weapons rule as well, so you're kind of still fishing for mortal mm. wounds. So yeah, this turn I killed a few things, but I didn't get onto any objectives. Or, it... yeah, I think because I was like staying away from the Magma Droth and shooting it off, I didn't challenge the middle objective in this turn. My one remaining Hobgrot, funnily enough, run away to Battleshock at the end of the previous turn. And I I think on the left side, I just missed out on model count on the objective from taking it because I'd retreated. That's what it was. I did a retreat to and charge to Battle Tactics, sorry, not the oh, wow. character and unit. So I retreated the Hobgrots and I retreated something else. It might have been the Sludge Raker. And then I charged with some... Oh, no, it was um, Blind Guy. I'm great at battle reports. Gobsprack. Gobsprack, thank you. I retreated Gobsprack to keep him safe and I retreated the little unit of Hobgrots and then made a charge with the Sludge Raker and then I also needed like a six inch charge with the a small unit of Bolt Boys into some Hearthguard that they didn't really want to fight. But they failed it. I rolled like a four. I didn't. I think I'd run out of command points. So I didn't make it. And consequently, they also didn't get onto an objective. And I scored zero points. <laughs> and I just spent the rest of the game basically like five points behind. Killing wise, I did pretty well. After that, I scored pretty well throughout the game. The Sludge Raker did well. It took most of that unit of Hearthguard off. I then got a double turn. I think if I hadn't got this double turn, actually, I would have just died in turn three. But I got a double turn, which meant I got to sort of position more onto the objectives, start setting up for my grand strategy to run a line unit into the backfield and kill some more stuff, shoot a few more things off. And then um, there was some back and forth of things dying. We both ended up with not much left. I think Zach at the end had two characters and half a unit of Hearthguard left, something like that. So I killed a lot more than he was expecting, and I, I was expecting, I think. But I think on my turn, my turn five, I missed a battle tactic. My turn four or five. I think it's probably my turn four, sorry. I missed a battle tactic again, and... Then we both got our grand strats. Zach got his scoring again. I think effectively we worked out, depending on how many objectives he was able to take off me on turn five, he won by between one and three points, but there was no way he couldn't hold at least one. So right. it was really close. I was surprised how yeah. close it was. For first mm. game, um, the army, that's pretty good. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I think mm. broadly my experience was that the. <laughs> Gut Rippers did nothing. Yeah, just like yeah, maybe two units of Gut Ripper would bet would be better of as like three more units of Hobgrots instead. But it's a lot of yellow to paint. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's zero scoring turn is is so yeah. brutally hard to come back from in this. Yeah, this is yeah, it was painful and in it, it was annoying because it was like broadly in the situation I was in, it was one of the easier battle tactics to score. I think mm. I what I should have done and forgot to do was try and cast a spell to give me plus one to charge on that turn. That was cool boys like war scroll spell. 
but a load of them have that can give you plus one to charge and minus one to your enemy charges. So that would have yeah. been that would have been good to remember. Dovsprank um, was sort of good. He's a very good movement piece because he's got fourteen inch move base. So he was really good for like jumping around and holding objectives. He didn't I think he basically his main didn't cast any. Yeah, his spells. main gimmick is his main gimmick's unbinding, right? So yes. that's in this matchup. Obviously, he he's doing against fire slayers. In, yeah. in other matchups, he can nuke an enemy wizard yeah. on their turn one if you get lucky. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was a good match. So really fun game. And nicely for me, sort of reassured me that I wasn't going to completely hate the army that I've decided on painting. So cool. It's good. Anyway, we're starting to butt up against our time limit. So let's do a couple of questions. And we're probably going to choose like two. So question from James, which faction, if no one was looking, would you quietly drag to the recycling bin? (laughs) I have two answers to this. The first one is like my personal choice, Daughters of Cain. I just hate the aesthetic. I really don't like the army. They can go. Second one, which is more the game state one, I think Sons of Bear Matt. It just doesn't work as an army. Like the last two General's Handbooks, it's just been like, and we forgot Sons of Bear Matt were here. Like, keep the Mega Gardens <laughs> as mercenaries. That's fine. But just if you're not going to write rules that work for them and interact with them, no, let's not. Yeah, that's fair. Matthew, any thoughts? Slaves to darkness. (laughs) Can't believe you've stolen my answer. (laughs) Boring. Uh, Boring and like the most confused, weird model line that just lets too much shit just get rid of them. I actually have, have more time for Slaves to Darkness since their new book, actually. Um... I do agree on the model line, but there's some really nice stuff in there as well. I think I would go for either Seraphon or Zinch. And this is in no way because <laughs> I am a jilted Lumineth player from tournaments of a couple of years ago. Don't like it when my spells are unbound. <laughs> yeah, Seraphon, the estate, like... It's it's weird because I was a kid that loved dinosaurs and I still do find like interesting and fun. The Seraphon aesthetic specifically doesn't do anything for me. It never did anything for me as like a kid looking at Warhammer Fantasy. I wasn't excited by them at all. The new models are undeniably really good re-sculpts and really nice, but I still don't really like them. Like them. I'm in danger of buying almost every army and just not Seraphon at all. And also they're bastard frogs who cast all the spells. So That's fair. Probably that I just yeah. similarly don't have much love for and have had... I think Zinch is probably the force I've had like the most negative games against, so... That's fine, yeah. But... Fuck them. <laughs> really highly justified there. We should do the scaping question, because I said earlier that was a scaping question. Oh, you did. Yeah, continuity is good. Michael says, how do you make Skaven more chaotic and push your luck than just doing mortal wounds to themselves? Could you do something extra like scatter dice or misfire tables? Any thoughts? Uh, So no to scatter dice and misfire tables, please. 
Oh, I've never <laughs> not loved scatter dice. But I reckon there's space for something around like mutations for the heroes, like kind of akin to Eye of the Gods for Slaves to Darkness heroes, because that's a really fun mechanic. You could do something similar where there's, there's like a chance of them getting some kind of mutation and it could be good or it could be terrible. That was my thought. Yeah. Did the Hellcat yeah, Abomination I... have a rule like that? Kind of. It has a... When it dies, it's it's, they're basically come, it has a like, random chance yeah. of either coming back or other stuff happening. So I, um, I think genuinely this is quite hard and part of the reason why the Skaven books have been not great is because it's hard, like design-wise, because doing Mortal Wounds is easy to write as a downside. And what you don't want as a downside is like the Doom Wheel where you take the player's agency away in a way that just fucking sucks. And what what happens is because it fucking sucks, you don't push your luck and you're like yeah. encouraged to not interact with that mechanic at all. And that is <clears throat> you might as well just have blank text there, right? So yeah. I don't have an easy answer because I think it's actually a really hard design challenge to get around within like the framework of what exists in AOS without, you know, porting in stuff that isn't actually in the game, like scatter dice. <laughs> but equally, I don't want scatter dice because you're taking away my yeah, agency. Yeah, I think, I think for certain stuff, like maybe the, the engineers and stuff, I'd like if they could, rather than just doing, do you want to do the safe option or the dangerous option? you could push your luck in a sense where you are still going to take mortal wounds if it goes wrong, but you're maybe like shooting and then shooting again, but it's harder and again, but it's harder still or like casting spells. And the next one is minus one to cast, but, and if you fail, you take a number of mortal wounds that you fail by or something. I don't know. It is still mortal wounds, but it's maybe a bit more interesting. I think I agree, Matthew, that the choice between dangerous and safe is the the problem because you just don't. Whereas I think maybe the escalating, like, oh, just a little bit might help. Yeah. When the choice is maybe I take D3 Mortal Wounds, sometimes I do take that choice because fine. I think that's... Yeah, when it's I take, like, 15. (laughs) Yeah. But that's why they've written the rules like that, I think, is because that is one of the more interesting choices, unfortunately, within... Mm-hmm. The way the rules are written. Yeah, yeah, I'm struggling. I think there's lots. But of I agree, things. it's not it's not ideal. Michael will be the first to understand that there are lots of cool, like narrative things you can do, but within the framework of like just the, the battle tome, it's it's really hard. I will be interested to see what they do with the clan scryer stuff. If if or, or not if, but next time the scaven get a book. Oh, what are we on time? Okay, there's a couple other good questions, I think, that we should try and answer. Ross says, I used to enjoy hit-and-run nonsense of fantasy Wood Elves, which AOS faction is likely to tickle that particular spot. It is Wood Elves, my guy, Sylvanair. <laughs> yeah. Come out of the forest, hit some swords, run away again. I guess Daughters of Cain have a sort of glass cannon thing going on, which is... Not necessarily entirely dissimilar, but yeah, they don't run away again. They just murder everything and stay there. Yeah, yeah. The really obvious answer to this is like, yeah, is Sylvaneth. They literally have a rule called strike and fade, where you punch something and then run away. They're the only army in the game yeah. that does that. 
So if that if that is what you want, then that is the answer to that question. If what you want is maybe more of that, yeah, I was going to say Ideneth. If you want maybe that more of that old Wood Elf feel, I think Ideneth actually scratched that itch maybe a bit better than Sylvaneth do, because the way the Sylvaneth end up in practice is lots of big models, yeah. and that's not that's not my feel of how Sylvaneth were. Whereas I think Ideneth do a, a good job of being a combined arms hit and run style army. So Ideneth is my actual answer. Yeah. Maybe Beasts of Chaos. Beasts of Chaos have lots of little like skirmishing yeah. units appearing and stuff like that as well. But again, like visually, I'm well, obviously they're a completely different style, but I think the makeup of a Beast's army is quite different to the makeup of an Old Wood Elves army. So possibly with good reason. We've got time for one more because I think it's a good question. Bean says, how do you manage to balance your hobby between life and work? And what is the ideal mix? Uh, I'm not sure it's the best one for a comp pod. Well, I mean, we are all, none of us are professional Warhammers, and we've all got other hobbies as well. We do. Um, and, you know, in some cases, a child to look oh, yeah. after. So <laughs> how do you how do you balance your life and work and hobby? I mean, we have like three minutes to spend on this question, okay. so it's going to be... With great difficulty. Sure answers, but... I, I I think from a competitive perspective, it is it's quite hard unless you're like fully immersed in it, right? So there are people for whom it is like the primary thing that they do, and they'll go and spend weekends doing it, and that's totally fine. But I think we're approaching it more hobby focused than a lot of players do, and with less free time. Certainly, speaking for myself, way less free time, so that getting the balance right is is difficult because I'm probably going to two to three events a year a normal year and I'm playing two three TTS games a month maybe which is not a lot of Warhammer really to like be trying to keep up at a competitive level yeah setting expectations I guess for me is yeah like I limit the number of events I go to painting wise you know i can fit that around my life quite easily but sort of gaming and competitive gaming i guess it comes down to basically when i play aos with a friend it i try to play like 2k matched play that not exclusively but that is what i like to play and it's sort of better practice for the game and when i um oh, words have gone from my brain <laughs> Yeah, sort of like events, I I guess, I, to flip it on its heads, I treat the events I'm going to as like social things that I want to do with my friends more so than I am going to a tournament to play. And that way, I get what I want out of it without worrying about the playing, really. Laura, any thoughts? I try and paint in the mornings before work, so if I'm working from home, do an hour of painting in the time that would be commuting time, so that means you get a little bit done all the time. And I don't paint for events anymore. I hate painting to deadlines, so I've got enough armies that I can take something to an event without putting myself under pressure to paint to a deadline. So I don't, you know, I can take the time I want to paint an army to the standard I want, I guess. God, I think I can only paint to deadlines. Yeah, I have. I like a deadline. I have got better recently i know obviously paying for an event right now but what i have managed to do in the last month is go oh no i need to do that so i'm not also going to like paint this lord of the rings army for this upcoming lord of the rings event i'm going to use something i already have 
So yeah, I think just knowing your limits and what you have available to you is good. Right. We have some more questions. We'll save them in the bank for a future episode. We've had like a lot of things to talk about this episode. I guess. Just to add so we've got two minutes. That's <laughs> yeah, that's it. We are all going to blackout in August. Woo! So if you see us there, come and talk to us. We might have some three and two goodies for you if I get off my ass. Is that where you've been hiding stuff. them? <laughs> no, not like that. Yeah, we've in not my got chair. time for jokes and decipherage. Just do it. <laughs> no jokes. Okay, we've been three and two. Thank you for listening to us. If you want to talk to us, you can do so on social media at three two aos. I think that's right. You can also email us, but I can't remember what the email address is. Oh, the tiny plastic people at gmail.com put three and two in the subject line. Matthew, where can people find you if they want? Uh, Twitter at Matthew CM Ward, all one word. Uh, that's probably the best place. Cool. If you, I'm at Scops947 on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to find me, I am at Rich Nutter on Twitter or at RJ Nutter on Instagram. Any of these social media platforms might have exploded by the time you listen to this. Um, that's it. We've been three and two. Thanks, Tiny Plastic People, for hosting us. They're good. Go to tinyplasticpeople.com and listen to their other podcasts and read the articles and stuff. Also, you can find stuff some of us have written on Goonhammer. Go there too. Mm. Woo. I've been Rich. They've been Matthew and Laura. This has been three and two. What Bye. A sprint to the finish. <laughs>
where are we? Wait, everyone's looking at me like I'm insane. 